Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes graphic descriptions of gore, as well as dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. The Wickhams had lived in Long Island as far back as anyone could remember. Even before the Revolutionary War, this one family prospered off the land, building a well-respected farm in the small hamlet of Kutchog. By 1851, the Wickhams had established a comfortable life for themselves. James Wickham, the oldest of seven children, had recently settled into his own 85 acres of farmland with his wife, Frances. Their home was a jewel among the oak trees, an idyllic two-story building with dark shutters that contrasted with a white clabbered siding. Unlike most farmhouses, this building was hidden from the main road, only reachable by a long, winding driveway. For the Wickhams, this farm was a peaceful paradise, but it wouldn't stay that way for long. A darkness was beginning to creep into that farmhouse at the end of the drive. At first, it was hardly noticeable, but by the time tensions reached their peak, it was already too late. Welcome to Solved Murders, True Crime Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. And I'm your host, Carter Roy. Every Wednesday, we step into the world of true crime's most fascinating murder cases and tell the tale of how real-life detectives close the case. You can find episodes of Solved Murders and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free, exclusively on Spotify. This is our first episode on the Wickham Axe Murders. This week, we'll cover how one man's obsession led to a bloody conclusion. Next week, we'll cover the hunt for the killer. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. A new true crime podcast from the team behind Up and Vanished. In 2016, adventurer Justin Alexander was invited on a trek by an Indian holy man. They headed to a spiritual ground in the Himalayan mountains, a place beyond civilization. The holy man returned and said nothing, but Justin was never seen again. What happened to him? Dive into our investigation in Status Untraced. Available now. Listen for free on Spotify. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. Search To Die For in your podcast app to follow the show. 
In the 1850s, New York City had already established itself as the center for industry in the United States. If you were desperate for work, you came to New York. By this time, the Great Famine had ravaged the Irish landscape, killing about a million people and leading many to leave the country entirely. People were desperate, starving, and searching for a place to begin their lives anew. Unfortunately, change is never that simple. Irish immigrants traveled to New York in such large numbers that by 1851, many of them had great difficulty finding work. Anti-Irish sentiment was everywhere, with many New Yorkers feeling threatened by the influx of new workers. Soon, Irish immigrants had to start looking beyond Manhattan for stability. This was certainly the case for Nicholas Bean. The young Irishman didn't spend long in New York City and instead traveled to an area with more opportunities, Long Island. By Bean's arrival at Kachog in late 1851, a growing number of Irish people had also landed in that picturesque hamlet. And it wasn't long until the young man was approached about work. Uh, young man, are you Nicholas Bean? That's me. Oh, fantastic. Uh, I saw your information in the immigrant labor exchange, and you'd be a perfect fit for my farm. Uh, how are you with land work? Uh, I'm good in the field, sir. Uh, and I could start right away if you like. Uh, what'd you say your name was? Oh, <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> uh, where are my manners? Uh, I'm James Wickham. Uh, you'll soon meet my wife, Frances. Uh, our farm isn't all that big. We only have a few hired hands, but you'll be well taken care of. Sounds like heaven to me, sir. The Wickham's farm was the exact kind of security that Nicholas Bean was looking for. In 19th century America, it was traditional for the farmers to share their homes with the laborers who worked the land. The house was large enough to accommodate four workers. That now included Nicholas, a young black child named Stephen Winston, who was likely an indentured servant, and two domestic workers, Catherine Dowd and Ellen Holland. Ellen was also Irish and had also come to Long Island in search of a new start. And it wasn't long until she was taken in by the Wickhams, living in a small attic room at the top of the farmhouse. For the first year, Ellen Holland and Nicholas Bean worked alongside each other with little incident. She considered him a friend, someone with a similar background. But after a few years, the young man developed feelings. He began to pursue her. Could I help you with that? Girls lovely as you shouldn't be worried about getting burned by chicken grease. Thank you, Nicholas. But I can manage. This is my job, after all. Say, while I'm here, I wanted to give you something. I saw this pin while I was in town, and it reminded me of you. Oh, thank you. That's very kind of you. Would you put it on now? Maybe later. The courtship began in 1853, and for months, Nicholas Bean was ruthless in his pursuit of Ellen Holland. He showered her in trinkets of all kinds, shoes, pins, small items from the local shops. The young woman accepted these gifts kindly, but she didn't share his affections. To her, this gift-giving was harmless, an awkward situation that she could easily placate with her friendliness. But Nicholas was undeterred. It wasn't clear if he didn't catch the hint or ignored it completely. 
but his ardent pursuit of Ellen Holland showed no stopping. If anything, the young man was more determined than ever. In May of 1854, the tone of Nicholas's courtship changed. Ellen, you're not wearing the lovely boots I bought you. Don't you like them? No, Nicholas, I do like them. I just didn't want to wear them today. I, I wouldn't want to get them dirty. I just... When I buy you these things, I expect you to wear them. Can't you just do what I say? I am doing this for you. Nicholas, please be reasonable. You're the one making this difficult. Just please wear the shoes, won't you? Nicholas's temper scared Ellen, and she wasn't the only one. In the two short years that Nicholas had been working at the Wickham farm, he had developed a reputation as a man with a short fuse. Suddenly, this harmless crush didn't seem so harmless after all. Ellen decided to mention the conversation to Frances Wickham, the woman of the house. Mrs. Wickham promised to have a word with Nicholas, but the conversation didn't go exactly as planned. Nicholas, please. Ellen is a lovely girl, but wouldn't you want to be with someone who shares your affections? I'm sure the two of you can be friends. (laughs) Do you honestly think that you know more about my relationship than I do? Ellen and I will be together. I don't have to take advice from a woman. I am the head of this house, young man. You do well to speak to me with more respect. Well, respectfully, ma'am, I think I can handle my own business. You don't need to worry about me. I can take care of myself. This was a side of Nicholas Bean that Mrs. Wickham hadn't seen before, and she didn't like it. But there wasn't much she could do. Her husband was the one who had the power to fire Nicholas, and the young man had proved to be a good worker on the farm. Mrs. Wickham resolved to leave Nicholas with a warning, hoping that he would come to his senses. Maybe with some time to cool off, Nicholas and Ellen would resolve their issues and things would return to normal. Unfortunately, she was very, very wrong. Coming up, Nicholas's temper comes to a head, and Mr. Wickham takes matters into his own hands. Stay with us. Every so often, something so impactful happens, it has the power to capture the attention of a whole country. An event so deadly or dumbfounding, it has no choice but to live on in infamy. Hi, Parcasters. It's Ashley Flowers, and I'm exposing the most sinister cases from the darkest corners of the globe in my new True Crime Limited series, International Infamy. Every Tuesday, come along as I guide you on a wicked world tour. 15 different countries, 15 infamous crimes. Take a trip to Iceland, where six people confessed to a murder that never actually happened. Journey to Mexico, where a Lucha Libre wrestler moonlights as a serial killer and travel to New Zealand where two friends hatch a deadly plan to become famous. Each episode of International Infamy explores the twists and turns of a notoriously high-profile case, zeroing in on the cultural details which make the crime unique to its location and explaining why it couldn't have happened anywhere else. Follow my new Spotify original from ParCast, International Infamy with Ashley Flowers, and catch a new episode every week. Listen free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. 
This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. On May 27, 1854, spring cleaning was officially underway at the Wickham Farm. Mr. Wickham was out of town on business, and Francis took this as the opportune moment to tackle one of the most unwieldy chores, restuffing all the mattresses in the house. This was an extensive project and required the help of as many workers as possible. Nicholas Bean was given the task of dragging the mattresses out of the house while the rest of the workers tidied up in the other rooms. For Francis Wickham, spring cleaning couldn't have come at a better time. This physically taxing activity was the perfect distraction from the growing unpleasantness at the house. It had only been a handful of days since her confrontation with Nicholas Bean, and he had been cold to her ever since. Ellen Holland also appreciated the distraction of spring cleaning. Despite Mrs. Wickham's warnings, Nicholas had kept pursuing Ellen to an aggressive degree, but she continued to reject him. The memory of Nicholas's short temper kept her from spending any time alone with him. Nicholas was perhaps the only person not looking forward to this day of spring cleaning. Throughout the afternoon, he was consistently watched by Francis Wickham, who directed him as he carried mattresses out of the house. For a few hours, this distraction seemed to ease the tensions at the Wickham estate. Nicholas worked in silence while Ellen busied herself in other parts of the house. But underneath that moment of calm, Nicholas's temper was beginning to rise. I think that might be the last mattress, Nicholas. Just bring it outside and that'll be it. You're doing fine work. What am I, your little pet? Excuse me, what did you just say? I didn't say nothing. If you have something to say, spit it out. Do you honestly think I don't know what you're doing, keeping me away from my woman? Do you really think your little schemes are going to do anything at all? Now listen here, I've had just about enough- Enough! Nicholas had reached the bottom of the stairs with the mattress, and with one sharp movement, he thrust it forward, shoving the object against Mrs. Wickham. In an instant, she was pinned against the door. Nicholas paused for a moment, meeting the woman's horrified face. His eyes gave away his rage, and he stood there leaning against the corner of the mattress, his gaze filled with fury. But just as quickly as he had acted, he retreated. In a quick motion, he pulled the mattress back, hoisted it up, and carried it outside as if nothing had happened. Mrs. Wickham stood where she had been hit, stunned into silence. James Wickham wouldn't be back in town until the following day. And that night, Mrs. Wickham felt more frightened than she had ever felt before. Nicholas's temper had become something wild and unpredictable. She couldn't understand it. That night, she waited until Nicholas had fallen asleep. Then, quietly, she tiptoed into another bedroom and settled herself in for a fitful night's sleep. 
Something within her knew not to trust this young laborer, and she wasn't interested in taking any chances. James Wickham returned to the farm the following morning, and his wife practically leapt into his arms. Without wasting a moment, she told her husband about Nicholas's bizarre fixation on Ellen and the shocking attack from the day before. Mr. Wickham was stunned. Nicholas's behavior was clearly unacceptable and showed no sign of improving. It was obvious the young man had to go. Now, Nicholas, I'm happy to pay your fare back to Brooklyn. You'll find work out there. I have no doubt about it. Okay. Thank you, sir. You be careful of that temper of yours, understand? You're a good worker, but that anger will be the death of you. Whatever you say. You'll do better in New York. I wish you the best. Surprisingly, Nicholas took the news well, offering no sign of protest. He silently accepted the money that Mr. Wickham offered him and left the farm. Ellen Holland watched him go from her bedroom window. After he disappeared across the field, she walked over to the trunk where she had kept his gifts, along with some personal items. But as she surveyed the contents, she noticed something missing. This box was also where she kept her personal savings, $30 in cash. It wasn't there. Mr. Wickham had told Nicholas to move back to New York, but the young man had other plans. The very next day, he returned to the farm, and this time, his mood wasn't so friendly. Nicholas, what are you doing here? You need to give me my job back. I didn't do anything wrong. Son, I'm not going to do that. What, just because I'm in love with Ellen, you cast me out? You want to ruin my chances with her? Nicholas, you attacked my wife. I don't care what feelings you may have for Miss Ellen. Your behavior is out of line, and I won't stand for it. You and your wife are the same, trying to stand in the way of my right as a man. I can court whoever I want, you hear? Well, speaking of Ellen, she says $30 of her own money is missing. You wouldn't know anything about that, would you? So what if I do? $30 is a fair enough cost to pay me back for all the gifts I wasted on her, the ungrateful little... I think you better get out of here, son. If you need your things, you can come back and get them tomorrow. But I will not tolerate any misbehaving on this property. You understand? Fine. Whatever. The young man left for a second time, his heavy footsteps kicking up a swirl of dust that followed him. The Wickhams looked on, hoping that tomorrow would mark the last time they would ever have to see Nicholas Bean. June 1st was ushered in by an unseasonable chill, and the Wickhams had to bundle up as they watched Nicholas return for one final visit to the farm. He had brought another man named Florence McCarthy to help him carry the large trunk that contained the rest of his belongings. The visit passed with no incident. Nicholas offered no parting words to the Wickhams, and disappeared down the winding driveway almost as quickly as he had arrived. That trunk was the last remaining item that belonged to Nicholas, and the Wickhams were happy to see it gone. Nicholas and Florence walked down the dusty country road in silence, their labored breath the only sound shared between them. Florence tried to make small talk as they shuffled down the road. Sorry about your job. 
I'm sure you'll find something better in Brooklyn. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to Brooklyn. I'm not going anywhere. I got business to take care of here. That wench leading me on, making me spend all this money on her. Sorry? Nothing. Just trouble with my woman. <laughs> I hear that. Sometimes women don't know how good they got it. They don't realize how lucky they are. And you gotta show them. <laughs> yeah. I'll show her. Coming up, Nicholas Bean gets his revenge. Stay with us. Now back to the story. June 2nd, 1854 was a Friday, and the Wickhams were looking forward to a weekend of rest. The farmhouse was alive with activity. The youngest worker, Stephen Winston, swept the shelves while Ellen Holland and Catherine Dowd scrubbed the floors in the kitchen. No one mentioned the name Nicholas Bean. It was as if he had never existed at all. By nightfall, everyone was spent from their day of work. It had been a regular day at the farm, but it had still felt special. No outbursts, no sudden visits. It was as if the Wickham house could finally breathe again. After dinner, the Wickhams moved to the parlor to smoke while the domestic workers cleaned up the plates and chatted. And one by one, each member of the farmhouse finally retired to bed. The last to go were Ellen and Catherine, who saw that all the candles were extinguished. Finally, the two women crept up the wooden stairs to their room in the attic of the house. The farm settled in for a quiet evening. But sometime in the middle of the night, Ellen Holland woke with a start. She sat up in bed, her eyes still bleary from sleep. In the silence, she listened for some sign of activity below. She could hear the sound of footsteps downstairs. Someone was walking from the kitchen towards the second floor bedrooms. From what Ellen could tell, the person was walking toward Mr. and Mrs. Wickham's room. Ellen sat in confused silence until she was startled with the sound of a scream, tearing through the quiet like a knife. It was Mrs. Wickham's voice. What are you doing here? Nicholas, please, don't kill him! Take whatever you want from the house, but don't hurt him! Ellen shot out of bed. Nicholas Bean was in the house. The young woman rushed to Catherine's bed and shook her awake, quickly explaining the situation. Nicholas knew that Ellen and Catherine shared this room in the attic of the house. The two women had to escape, but how? There was one door to the bedroom, and Nicholas could burst through it at any moment. They could hear his footsteps, heavy on the stairs. With a frantic glance, the two women looked at the small window on the far side of their room. It would be a tight squeeze, but if they were quick, Ellen and Catherine could make it onto the roof. Quick, put your shoes on. It's a long walk to the neighbor's house. Where should we go? Let's split up. I don't know what's going on downstairs, but it sounds bad. We will need all the help we can get. Okay. Uh, Mr. Betts lives down the road. I can rouse him. Perfect. I think there's a mason who lives close by, a Mr. Joseph Corwin. I'll find you in the fields. Be quick. Ellen hoisted Catherine through the window, then followed behind. In the darkness, the two women rushed across the roof of the house 
too afraid to glance behind them to see if Nicholas was following. But within a minute, the two women had made it across the roof without incident and quietly jumped onto the soft grass below. They glanced at each other and then took off running toward the neighboring houses. After several minutes of running, Catherine Dowd made it to William Betts' house. He was a local merchant and a friend of the Wickham's. Catherine was sure that he would want to help. It was well past midnight, but Catherine wasn't concerned with regular pleasantries. The moment she saw the darkened mass of the house, she began screaming, Help! Please help! The bedroom light ignited, and soon Mr. Betts was standing at the front door in his pajamas, confused and alarmed by the sight of this young woman who had just run through the fields to reach him. Catherine? What on God's green earth are you doing screaming in the middle of the night? I'm sorry to wake you so late, sir, but there's been some kind of attack back at the Wickham house. What? Now, Catherine, did you just have a bad dream? Why don't you gather yourself and make your way home? Mr. Betts, Ellen and I heard Mrs. Wickham scream out. There was a man in the house and he attacked her. I assure you that I heard this terrible sound with my very ears. Now we can debate this or you can come and help me. I wouldn't run out here in the middle of the night for my health. My word, Catherine. All right, let me wake my son. In a matter of minutes, Catherine, Mr. Betts, and his son were back in the fields, hurrying through the dark. Now that Mr. Betts was convinced that there was a real danger at the Wickham house, he decided to call upon two more neighbors to join the group, Dr. Benjamin Carpenter and Silas Carpenter. The small group rushed towards the Wickham house. It wasn't hard to find Ellen. Ellen had first called upon the mason, Joseph Corwin, and the two of them had alerted two other men, Thomas Rayner and Hull Webb. The two groups converged and ran the final distance to the Wickham house. From the outside, the farmhouse looked exactly the same. The windows were dark. There was no sign of activity inside. The group of men fanned out surrounding the building and listened for any indication that the intruder could still be inside. As they stood in anticipatory silence, all they could hear was the chorus of crickets calling out in the night. Nothing. The group reconvened at the front of the house. It was time to go in. All the doors were locked from the inside. But this wasn't much of a problem. One of the burlier men in the group slammed his body against the kitchen door and broke it open. The group quickly shuffled into the darkened house. Now that they were inside, the group could hear new sounds. Beyond the kitchen, someone was groaning. Ellen strained to hear and could decipher a man's voice whispering, Please, help me. One of the men found a lantern and lit it, casting the room in an eerie glow. Catherine and Ellen led the men out of the kitchen and into the main bedroom of the house. And there they found a massacre. Pools of blood shimmered in the light of the lantern, and dark stains of red crisscrossed against the walls. With newfound horror, Ellen noticed skull fragments scattered across the floor, mixing with something grayish pink and wet. Brain matter. The doorway to the Wickham's bedroom was open, and on the floor was Mr. Wickham, his body slick with blood. His face was mangled, and his head had been split open, 
but he was still alive, his breath coming out in harsh gasps. Dr. Carpenter rushed forward to tend to the man, and as he knelt down, he saw the body of Mrs. Wickham inside the bedroom. She was lying in a pool of blood and brains, her head gashed multiple times. With a start, Dr. Carpenter noticed that she might also still be breathing. He quickly called for help. Ellen, the Wickhams are still alive. I can try to treat them, but I don't think they'll survive much longer. Could you or Catherine bring me a jug of water and some rags? Yes, doctor. Just give me one moment. Wait, does anyone else live in the house? If this happened to the Wickhams, I shudder to think what could have happened to someone else. Yes, yes, there's a child. Stephen Winston. His room is across from this one. Oh, God, he's just a boy. Someone needs to check on his room, now. As Dr. Carpenter tried to treat the fatally wounded couple, Ellen and the rest of the group rushed into Stephen Winston's room. The doctor was right. The young boy had also been attacked. His head was split open and blood was pouring out from three deep gashes. He was alive, but barely. As the blood made a red halo around his small head, his breathing grew weaker. Dr. Carpenter moved from room to room, his arms slick with blood. He was sure that the three victims wouldn't survive, but he continued dabbing at their wounds with a cloth. As the sky began to lighten, the group wandered the house, looking for any clues. Ellen and Catherine were certain that Nicholas Bean had attacked these three people, but still they searched, hoping to find something that conclusively tied him to these horrific events. The sky was still blue with the approaching dawn. The birds had begun to sing, cutting through the heavy silence that had plagued the long night in that house. Ellen wandered through the kitchen and tossed a bloody rag into the sink. And then she noticed something. There was a straw hat placed on the furnace near the kitchen window. Nicholas Bean's hat. Ellen was sure of it. Ellen called for the rest of the group to come into the kitchen. She showed them the hat, and Catherine Dowd confirmed that it belonged to Nicholas Bean. He was their man. As the group discussed this new clue, Ellen gazed through the kitchen window out onto the fields. Nicholas Bean was hiding somewhere out there, and they were going to find him. Thanks again for tuning into Solved Murders. We'll be back next Wednesday with part two of the Wickham Axe Murders. For more information on the Wickham Axe Murders, amongst the many sources we used, we found Murder on Long Island, a 19th century tale of tragedy and revenge by Jeffrey K. Fleming and Amy K. Folk, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Solved Murders and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Solved Murders True Crime Mysteries is a Spotify original from ParCast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound designed by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Solved Murders was written by Georgia Hampton, with writing assistance by Giles Hofseth. 
fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Mickey Taylor. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Tiana Camacho, Ellie Schiff, Julian Smith, and Rebecca Thomas. Saw of Murder stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy. Hi, listeners. It's Ashley Flowers, and here's a quick reminder to check out my new true crime limited series, International Infamy. Every Tuesday, I'm taking you across the globe to look at 15 of the most notorious crimes from 15 different countries. Some stories are sure to shock, some may leave you stumped, but all are quite the trip. Follow my new series, International Infamy with Ashley Flowers. Listen for free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.